the people that are always at the top of the leaderboards at every company I've worked for, every company I've spoken to, advised on, et cetera, the people at the top, they are always prospecting for themselves. It doesn't matter how many SDRs they have. It doesn't matter how many inbound leads they get. They're consistently doing that because they know they can control that aspect of it. They don't focus on the areas that are outside of their control. They focus on what they can control. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. This week, I'm joined by someone who knows just a couple of things about uh, scaling revenue. He's one of the co-founders of the Top 1% Academy, Tom Bocard. He's also the SVP of sales over at Global Data. Tom, pleasure to have you on. Lee, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for arranging this and getting me on board. <laughs> no problem. For uh, now, I know that you run your own podcast, The Top 1% Show with Paul Salamanca and talk around a lot of the things that I think we'll go into in a bit more detail today. But for folks that are listening that haven't come across your podcast before or any of the work that you've done, uh, can you give a little bit of an intro and introduction to your story and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. I think before getting to the podcast, just a little background on my sales and leadership aspects. So I had I started off in sales straight out of college, working at a selling gym memberships and quickly kind of moved from B to B to C to B to B. But it was a very strong foundational part for me because it taught me, I learned that sales was a skill that could be developed and learned and continued to be built on. It reminded me of when I was an athlete growing up when it's like going to the gym or going to practice. Quickly made that connection that there's actually things that can be done to separate you and it's not just people that are good at talking to other people. And that that really followed me through my career. So when uh Eventually, when I got into the city, probably like two or three years later here in New York, I took a step back, went into an entry-level position to get back into inside sales, and was really had a strong foundation of spin selling that was taught there. This is when I think from a personal standpoint, I really came into development and growth as an individual and just understanding how this could impact sales teams and organizations at large. So it was a great experience that I had, although, albeit it, it started with a tremendous amount of failure, one that I wasn't sure I was going to make it out of. So a rough first three, four months, kind of getting my feet underneath me. But then it, once it clicked, it kind of, the penny dropped and it took off from there. So quickly, you know, kind of rose the individual contributor ranks from entry-level SMB sales to mid-market enterprise, set some company records across the way, fastest person to a million dollars in new business sales. That kind of naturally led into mentorship and kind of player coach roles. And that's when I think I got the itch from a sales leadership perspective. It really showed me that the force multiplier was that I could, by helping others advance their career, develop their skill sets, achieve their goals, was really allowing me to do the same. And it was basically, it was an old Brian Tracy quote of achieve your goals by helping others achieve theirs that kind of stuck with me through this leadership aspect. 
you know, and, and that brought it where after a couple of years of doing that at, at IQPC, a conference company, I was recruited by Global Data. And that was 11 years ago. I'm still here. We've grown exponentially as a company, have had tremendous successes in building out new divisions, revamping existing divisions, and just continuing with the growth mindset from the team. And Paul and I, as you mentioned, started the Top 1%er podcast probably about three years ago now. And that evolved. We did that with the mindset of we wanted to just help people. We wanted to speak to different people in sales, different people outside of sales that could help the sales community at large kind of continue to grow and hone their skills. And it evolved into us starting up the Top 1% of Sales Academy, which again, which really was built on the, the whole precipice of how can we help people that are looking for help, looking for growth and skill development that are just outside of our the four walls that we each work in, respectively, and continue to support that kind of just development of the community at large. So I think from my side, it's someone that is very passionate about helping others achieve their goals, develop their skill sets, you know, maximize their talents and abilities. I never focus on quotas. I focus on, you know, what someone is with their abilities will allow them to achieve and do everything within my control to help support that, coach that, advise them on those parts. And that that spreads through all aspects of life for me. So Lee, probably a little longer than a short story, but hopefully that encapsulates it for everyone. I reckon you summarized it at, well, what was it, 10 or so years pretty well. And I also love your perspective and approach to it as well. I think in particular to that supporting role. And I'm very curious actually to dig into a bit more how you don't necessarily focus on the quota, but actually more so on their abilities and where they fit. And I think let's start there because from some of the analysis that, that we've done more recently, I think from the last quarter, from the meta-analysis we did, some 73% missed their quota. Now, I would love to get your perspective before we kind of dive into what qualities a 1% has and actually uh, would be interested to know what your view is on why many salespeople are struggling to hit their target right now and perhaps why many are falling short. Yeah, I mean, I think as a, organizations, you need to take a look at quotas first and understand, you know, see where it is. Because if it's something where you're having numbers like 73%, 80%, 85% are not hitting the quotas, there's always the question of, is the quota, is it an attainable number? I think is, is one thing that is key. Now, I know there's demands of businesses and numbers that need to be hit, but are those inflated from your end? So you're giving people inflated quotas. So if they fall short, they still hit the numbers of the business. I'm a firm believer in just give them the numbers that need to be hit that are also achievable. And I think if you're a rep, and this is what I coach my reps, where it's looking at, you know, we have the majority of our team is hitting quota right now. When everyone has similar patches of territory to go after, I do account-based sales, so it's not really like kind of a, a Wild West first one there. Their territories are similarly set. Typical volume is the same. Some people might have a higher volume if they have some of the maybe more mid-market or smaller accounts, but it, everyone has the apt opportunity. And it's it's looking at where are you falling short? I really think there's a lot of personal analysis that you need to do on the data itself. So look at the team. So my team is very aware of what our conversion rates are. And I'm not just talking about close rates. So they're aware of how many demos that we book are actually completing. And those numbers, we're, we basically, we complete right now, we're 90% of our demos booked are getting completed. So it's probably closer to 100 because there's always a trailing 
forward schedule, right? But then it's demos completed to props. That number is currently as a team, we're just under 50%. And that's on overall demos completed. So if I dug a little deeper and peeled it back and looked at per company demos we're doing, it's probably closer to like a 75, 80% are converting to proposals, but we're tracking discovery calls, initial demos, second demos, et cetera. So that number is a little weighted, but as a team, that's what we're doing. So every 10 demos you book, you should be getting about five. You should complete 10 and that should result in five proposals. And then we're currently closing at a 21% rate. So basically one out of five deals. So if I'm a rep and I'm missing quota, well, first off, how do I stack up against the kind of the median line that we have as a team? Am I far below it? Am I above it in certain aspects? Like where is the fracture point for me? Is, am I good with demos booked and completes, but my props are way down? Like that's an area I need to lean into and look at to see where I can do. Am I get? Am I in line everywhere, but my conversion rates are off? Like there's, the numbers will tell you kind of where you need to focus. But another area you need to look at as well, and a lot of people don't like to hear it, is, is those base level inputs. If my numbers are aligned to the team, but I'm not hitting the targets because my conversion rates are in line, but I'm not hitting the target, well, maybe my, the volume I'm working from is too low. And I need to take ownership of that. And then I need to structure my day so that I'm going out there and building it. I think a lot of people that I speak to across the businesses that are, are missing targets, it's a lot of reasons why they're not, it's not their fault. It's, well, I'm not, I don't get enough leads. I don't get enough appointments set for me. I don't get enough this. The people that are always at the top of the leaderboards, at every company I've worked for, every company I've spoken to, advised on, et cetera, the people at the top, they are always prospecting for themselves. It doesn't matter how many SDRs they have. It doesn't matter how many inbound leads they get. They're consistently doing it because they know they can control that aspect of it. They don't focus on the areas that are outside of their control. They focus on what they can control. And the ones that are achieving quotas and blowing it out now, they're building enough pipeline themselves that would allow them to achieve quota. And then everything else that's being sprinkled on is just accelerators for them. So I think that to really break that down, number one, you need to know your numbers. If no one on the team is hitting quota, well, that's a bigger issue that probably should be looked at, right? But if people are hitting quota and you're not, what are they doing from the day-to-day perspective of the pipeline they're building and their progression? How do your numbers stack up against those? And if you're below them, then you need to organize yourself and execute so that you can get there. If you're below them and it's a conversion issue, then look at upskilling in those certain areas and figure it out, right? Like, you, well, no, hopefully you have the infrastructure and people that can support you internally to help you figure it out. But that's an area you need to lean into. And that's where I would look, though, to see. Then, of course, you got to look at your territory, examine that. If you're doing all the dials, the emails, everything else, and you're not booking the meetings that other people's are, well, that could, you got to look at your territory. It could be you have a bad, bad batch of companies. It could be your messaging is off for that territory. It could be you're targeting the wrong people, the wrong personas in there. So you got to inspect every facet of it to see there and then look at the data, how you stack up to see where you can move from that side. So a loaded answer at least, but I think there's a lot of aspects that you really can lean into as a, a rep an individual contributor that would allow you to have that ownership and accountability and control of how you're going to perform. And if you're a leader in the space, like these are things that you should be looking at across the board as a team. It's something that I look at every single day as a, a collective group, but also individually where we are. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, 
we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Well, I'm glad I asked because it really lifted the lid, I think, on how you approach it on a day-to-day basis, right? And I think you make a really valid point around sometimes that quota might be a bit ambitious, right? It's based on what the business needs as opposed to what is actually likely for the reps themselves and what they're likely to be able to achieve. And so of those, I'm keen then to dig into your experience, certainly working with, and I know you do some mentoring with quote unquote, top one percenters. What would you say is perhaps something that is underrated that these folks are doing on a day-to-day basis that is helping them to stand out against their peers right now? Yeah, I think one thing that kind of goes under the radar, it's, I mean, they're, they're constantly looking to develop their skill sets and grow. It's a constant state of learning. So they, they're organizing that approach. It's not just scrolling through LinkedIn and like, oh, that's a cool thing. I'm going to pick it up. There's, they've inspected where they need to improve upon. It could be discovery. It could be any aspect of the sales process that they're looking at. Or, and they're, they're reading books or listening to podcasts that are focused on that. So they, it can be focused for them to then implement and start achieving there. But tied to that is, A, it's, they're honest like with where there's areas that could be improved on, you know, that they know. And they know this because they're looking at, again, they're looking at their stats and their data and they're open to coaching, to feedback. I can't tell you how many people that I, I speak to that are at, they're doing great right now. They're at the top of their leaderboards. They're very successful and they don't want input. They don't want to be coached. They don't want to hear how other people are doing things to, to go from there. It's kind of a blinders on and just head down. And that's, gonna, that's only going to take you so far. So I think the openness to coaching and the constant focus on development, like when they're time blocking their, their days, their weeks, it's not just the typical like prospecting hours, the research hours, the follow-ups. The, they build in time to develop their skills, analyze their stats to see where they need to develop, and they lean into that with vigor. It's not a byproduct of anything. It's a focal point for them. And that's, and some people, it's not, well, I need to improve this. It's just, I need to keep this sharp, right? Like if you're hitting on all cylinders, your conversion rates are great. Everything is moving through. You're at accelerators before the year even starts because you got the pipelines that are going to take you there. You just need to stay abreast and stay constant on that part. And that's making sure that you don't kind of miss. And so knowing for well at the time of recording, we're coming into a new quarter now for a lot of the folks at home it, or, or wherever they are listening to listening to this episode, they'll be looking ahead to, okay, how do I achieve my targets for this quarter? And I'd love to get your perspective then on how you are approaching it going into a new quarter. How are you looking back on what worked well in the previous quarter? And how are you drawing from that and learning from it to get the most out of your team going into a new quarter? Yeah, I think going into a new quarter, the way I approach every quarter, but particularly at the point of us recording now, we're coming into Q4, right? It's the beginning of it here. So for me, it's all the work we've been doing through the year. It doesn't all accumulate in Q4 or come together, right? But it has been building towards this. 
And there's been a lot of hard work across the team in their inputs from a day-to-day basis. So I think there's, for them, I tell them, there's a couple of things you got to do. Like, first off, you got to see what you have in your pipeline currently. Look at the progression, look at the opportunities that are there, have a clear understanding of coverage of forecast, et cetera, and like no next steps from that. So like that should be clean and tight all the time. But coming into this quarter particularly, that should be there. Then it's going back, looking at everyone that you've spoken to throughout the year. So who are all the demos that I booked that ghosted me, right? Who are the demos I completed that never resulted in proposals? Who are the proposals that didn't result in deals? Who did I put on, you know, proof of concepts or trials that didn't convert, right? So for me, these, particularly the last three, you know, the demo completes, the proposals, the trials that didn't convert, these are people that are aware of the company that have already gone through the sales cycle to certain points. So you kind of are shortening the sales cycle by going after these people. Maybe timing was not an area. Maybe it just fell off, but certainly go back there. But at the same time, going back to those people, it's also looking at those companies and mapping them out. Who are additional contacts, divisions that you can go into in those works? So kind of see, like, these are people that you have, you've already done some research through active calls with them. You understand what scenarios they're in. So that should help you expedite a new sales cycle with different people or different divisions. If you can get back at these people, and that should shorten it, so get back there. And then the other point is also look at the leads that you've received through the year. If you're fortunate enough to receive leads, whether it's inbound leads or SDR, BDR, set up appointments, go back to those people. Maybe they didn't make it into this, your pipelines. They didn't fall into those earlier buckets. But if they raised their hand at a certain point, there's something going on at that company that made them interested to come in here. So again, I would go back to those people, but I would also build out the org and go after that. You know, this gives you kind of like a couple of campaigns that you can go in there. And certainly also the other aspects go into your graveyards, right? Your lost deals, I should say as well. The ones that didn't progress that you moved to close lost, go back there. Things could have changed. New people could be involved, et cetera. So go into those because those are people that, again, it should be short in sales cycles. And then you can have that coupled with your, your active pipeline progression. And then lastly, you could have a, a fresh batch of new build target companies. And you could base that off of what the team has seen through the years, the markets or the verticals that have been responding the best to outbound efforts or have been inquiring the most with inbound leads. So what I mean by that is look at what, are there any trends in those people across the team, the company that have booked meetings, progressed through the pipeline through the year, maybe have converted to deals as well, but you can look at all facets. Don't just look at closed one, look at who's gotten in and progressed. Look at the people that have come inbound by proactively coming to your company and asking further information. See what those trends tell you. And then you could take that and look at, well, how do, well, who are new companies I could go after that kind of fit those buckets? So it's kind of a who you've been to. So look at the past of who you've pitched, who that didn't convert, et cetera, like kind of falls in all, you know, under that umbrella. And then the other one is look at who's closed through the year whether it, new business and renewals, if there's trends in those companies, who's inquired through the year proactively to you, are there trends from there to identify maybe there's a, a patch you could go after fresh, but ideally it could be potentially quicker cycles for you because you have all the use cases, the reasons they've inquired, or the reasons their competitors have inquired, or the reasons their competitors have signed with you or renewed with you. Those are the areas I would look at from there. So it sounds like a lot, and it is a lot to, to certain degrees, but it's really about taking some time to get yourself organized 
And then you just, you kind of time block those campaigns accordingly. If you only had, if you had 100 props throughout the year that didn't close, let's 100 companies to go after 100 contacts. Maybe there's four or five contacts per prop. Like that, that could keep you busy for a couple of weeks. But if you get them re-engaged, it's going to be pretty quickly to the points there. Yeah, well, you say it's quite a lot. To me, it sounds like common sense in many ways. And what was coming up to me as you were talking about it was, I know from a like individual seller perspective, and while you can give this advice, it's very much dependent on, in many cases, the, the rep actually taking that upon themselves to do most of these things. As a leader, how can you, or perhaps take this how you want to, is there a way of making that repeatable as a leader? So ensuring that your reps are going and, and looking back at old demo requests, looking back at demos that didn't lead to proposals, so on and so forth. Is it on the seller or is it on the leader to instill that sense of process and structure? Yeah, I mean, I think common sense isn't always common. So I think it's on the leader to really make sure, A, make it easy for them. So what I did, everything I just listed off for you, I've created reports in Salesforce for all of those for my team as a whole that it will allow every individual to go look at those and run those campaigns for themselves. And I gave it to them and I give them the instructions of you know, this is what to do. And there's some in there that are like, I'm already doing this. I'm like, perfect. You don't need to do it. Then continue to do it. Let's look at other aspects, other channels maybe we could go under. But there's others that they're still, they're new in their career or they haven't worked for companies that have taught them this, right? Some people have been doing it for 10, 12 years and they're like, oh yeah, I didn't even think to go back to that. And I'm like, wow, like, that just seems to me like it's there. But the companies they worked at previously, it wasn't so much of an onus on the individual to get there. So for me, it's instilling that ownership and accountability into the individuals, right? I want to hire people that have that. They look at their, it's their own business. There's kind of that entrepreneur. They're their own founders of the startup and they have their territory and patch. They just don't need to deal with the product build, right? They're fortunate enough to have product market fit and use cases they can lean on. But I don't want to expect them to do this stuff if they, I've never told them, if I haven't taught them. But for me, the better use of their time is to execute on the, the reports that I generate. And I'd rather generate that report and half my team say, I'm already doing this. I didn't need this. But the other half are like, oh, great, thanks. This helps. But then the reports allow us collectively to measure what's working or not. They're going back to their demos they completed that didn't turn to props. And it's not resulting in new opportunities or re invigorated opportunities in the pipeline, stop doing it. Let's focus on something else right now. And we can go back to those later and figure it out, right? Or if it's working for someone and it's not working for someone else, well, what are they doing differently? Who are they, what are they saying? What are they doing? But I think to expect people to do these things without showing them and helping them with it, supporting it to make it easier for them to just go out and execute is only going to lead to shortfalls. And I think for me, it's I try to hire people that come in with that have those levels of ownership. Some of them do and some of them don't, right? And for the ones that don't, it's teaching them, coaching them, kind of bringing that out in them so that they have that day-to-day ownership. It's not waiting for their manager or even myself to come to them and ask, you know, like, what's what are you focusing on this week? What's the pipeline look like? Where's the forecast? Blah, blah. Like, they're already doing that stuff. And then they're asking us to help them with better forecasting or asking, asking for help to identify other areas to go into. It's, and I think you can create that culture by this type of scenario. It's like, 
This is like, oh, well, you're not calling your props? It's like, here's a list of all the props you've sent out this year. Here's a list of all the trials that you've done this year. Here's all the leads you received this year. Let's focus on these. Let's time block to do campaigns into each of these and see where it goes. You touched on it on hiring there in particular. And I'll caveat this with, I talked to a lot of folks about hiring and the type of characteristics that they're looking for when they are hiring. Stuff like entrepreneurial, unsurprisingly, comes up a lot. And I feel like there's almost a stereotype in my head of the type of person that, that folks are trying to hire into a, into a sales role. So I'll ask a two-party question. One, what kind of, what is the characteristics that you typically see that typically leads to a high-performing salesperson? And second to that, do you feel like that's the same everywhere? Or are there certain characteristics that work better in different organizations? Yeah, so I think for my, it's looking at, I like to look at the history of work, but not so much for like the numbers that typically are seen. I want to know the processes that they follow. I know my organization, we've been ramping up and building out our kind of marketing and lead gen aspect, but we're, we're certainly not there yet. So it's really, it's full cycle outbound sales motion. So I got to make sure that they're comfortable in that role. And it doesn't mean they they had to be an SDR to be comfortable there, but I will find people that have been SDRs in the past, they'll be successful because they've had that ownership on themselves to build that pipeline and they kind of have that day-to-day built in. But you got to make sure that the people fit the pie, right? Like, or I don't think that works, fit the pie, but you know what I mean? Like kind of fit the mold <laughs> and what the role is going to be. Like I've interviewed people before and I'm like, well, how do you talk to me through your pipeline generation and this, like, how do you approach your territory or this? And they're like, I have 20 leads in my inbox every morning. I'm like, where do you work? Like, get me a job. That sounds great, right? Like, it's just, but that's not going to fit for someone that comes in and maybe they get a couple of leads a month. Like, that's not going to be there. So I got to make sure that they have that kind of like drive and look. So for me, it's kind of understanding the processes and like the worlds that they've been in and how they manage their territory. So like the characteristics of that is really just the ownership that I look for because in the past, I would, you would look, for, I want the competitive people that are out there. They had to be student athletes or they had to have that drive. They have to be extroverts. But like, I see people that are introverts that are just as successful, if not more successful than some of the extroverts out there. So I try to, I don't try to look at, when I'm interviewing people, I'll see if they remind me of people on the team here. And if they don't, that's okay. If the processes and the stories, that the background and how they kind of run their business matches up. And I think it's important because not everyone's going to fit into what the role is here day to day, right? I think when you, to your second question, when you're looking at what works at companies, I think, again, it's what are they walking into? Is it a high lead environment? Is it a low lead environment? Is it a high outbound environment? Is it just new business? Is it account management? Is it both? Like, what is the role going to require them to do? And what in their background not what's on the resume, but what do they say in the way that they operate helps you confident that it's going to fit there. Because some people will be successful inside and others will only be successful in field sales, right? So a lot of that depends. I think people can go upstream. They can go from SMB to mid-market to enterprise sales. I think, again, that's based on the person, not necessarily on the, the history. And it's getting a sense from them at when you've worked through this, walk me through the how. How do you approach the day? How do you inspect what you've done? How do you pivot 
if things aren't going well? What lets you know that things aren't going well? What tells you where you should focus on improving it? What do you need to put you in the best position to be successful? What kind of support? What kind of systems? What kind of training? What kind of development? So it's, you know, that's, it's not so much I look for hard workers kind of thing, right? Or people that have sold to this thing. It's more of like, we'll look at the skill and the will, but also kind of like the ability that they have within them to see what makes sense. And I know from my roles particularly, which roles need those field sales, enterprise sales, which roles need mid-markets, which need the SMB kind of like the bangers that are out there used to transactional shorter sales cycles. But it has to be underlined with people that are, they're in control of themselves, but there's also a level of creativity because people are just going to operate within boxes and just follow sales processes or coaches to a T. They're not going to be successful, I think, in most roles, unless it's just a heavy kind of like inbound transaction or order taking type thing. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. And to take that just a step further, once once you've got your team in place and you found what certainly feels like the right fit and the right territory, how do you approach identifying opportunities to coach them? You kind of talked at the beginning of our conversation around looking at like the conversion rate through from demo to opportunity, looking at perhaps how long it takes to do that. But I'd just love to get a bit more context on what your process is for or approach to actually understanding, okay, this is where the seller can really move the needle. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of checks and balances that come in place between my managers and their reps. I have some direct reports that, that come in as well. So it's a lot of it will come up in forecasting and pipeline discussions, So we'll see. You start to see where they're falling down. MedPick is kind of the underlying you know, qualification process that I use when it comes to the pipeline. So I could start to identify from there where we are, you know, people are getting stuck or where they're missing the mark on. And that can just bubble up in like their ability to forecast. If they forecast this deal for three months in a row, they clearly do not understand paper process, decision process, right? Or they're not getting to the economic buyer. So there's a lot of things you can unpack. The other thing is I listen to a lot of their calls. I ask them to send me their calls after they're off, the good ones, the ones they have questions on, everything in between. I really lean into that so I can kind of be a lot of places where I can't. You know, with a large team, it's difficult to listen to everyone's calls or do call training sessions that really impact the individuals or even like the groups. But by listening to a lot of that, it'll start to, I'll see trends across the team and then develop training sessions based on that as well. So I try to kind of bucket the team into where they need help in the the sales process. And I'll almost like smaller cohorts within the group to focus on different areas. So some of them might, I mean, I might need to spend more time in the discovery because I could tell like their sales cycle is getting longer, they're they're getting to the nose quicker, or their deal sizes are maybe lower, whatever it might be. So we'll kind of take five or six of them and do there. Another five or six maybe are what's more, we got to work on some negotiations, some positionings of, of products so that we're aligned to the 
buyers' cycles to their opportunities. It's again, I look for a lot of like, this is what the reps forecast and this is what the managers forecast. Then it also identifies for me where managers need to be trained as well, right? I want to empower them so they can be coaching on the day to day. So I work with them on the sales cycle, on the skill development so that they can kind of identify those opportunities to get in there. Because the biggest thing for me is like those coaching opportunities need, there's got to be like alarm bells going off. Not like, oh my God, this person needs to, it's just like, here's an opportunity where we can help someone. Like if it's just even them talking about a call post call, right? If it's leading into the call, I love asking me like, so what are your ideal next steps on this, for this call? And they'll just start going in to give me the history of the call and the company and all the conversation. I'm like, ah, that's great. I want to know what are your ideal next steps? And if they don't have that clearly defined, then you got to teach them to understand like, okay, why? Now you can start working towards that. The call can be directed there and we could easily come off the call and you, I could say, what are the next steps? Did you achieve those ideal next steps or not? It's a yes or no question. And if it's a no, there's plenty of reasoning why. Like, through the call, we realized this and that the ideal next step changed because of what they gave me or they just didn't do it. And if they didn't do it, well, then you got to get in the process of doing it. So it's all around you, I think, the opportunities for that. It starts with a strong foundation of training and then it's so everyone's kind of speaking on the same languages, but then it's, it's looking for the opportunities through forecasting, through coaches, through calls, through their managers, through just being on the floor when we're in office together too helps tremendously. Absolutely. Tom, final question. What is one book that you'd recommend to other revenue leaders? So we laughed about it pre-show, but I got to <laughs> stick with it, Lee. I got to stick. It's Atomic Habits by James Clear. Ah, oh, it's a classic. It's a classic. I told you, I feel like it's a cop-out, but it's so good. It really, it... Yeah, tell us why. It's helped me when I, when I brought it to like my team's attention. I don't do the book club because they like, it's like the eye rolls and everything else from everyone, <laughs> right? But... I'm like, read this book. It's not just for sales. It kind of, but it'll help you really kind of structure your days. In the, and I told him, sign up for the newsletter. He's got a weekly newsletter. It's a, maybe a five-minute read. Not even. It's like a two-minute read. It's like, it's three, two, one. I forget what it is. I think it's like three quotes by him, two ideas, or maybe the opposite, and then one question. And one thing to reflect on. Yeah. And like that, you know, once you're reading the book, kind of put that in perspective, but it's, I think it's a great book. It helps. And I think if you're a leader, you got to understand that because then you can start focusing on the process with your people as opposed to necessarily the outcome that they're doing. So you can really kind of lean into that aspect. And that's where, that's where some real coaches differences make big waves within organizations. Yeah. I'm with you, Tom. I think it's an awesome book, regardless of the fact that it's like, has been well covered by this point. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move to wrap up. Tom, been awesome chatting to you. For the folks at home that are perhaps intrigued to listen to a little more from you, where can they hear more from what you're talking about? Yeah, we have the Top 1%er podcast. Is, you know, it's available everywhere. People listen from that. Uh, go to the top one percenter, all spelled out, dot com, and there's links to the podcast or you know other podcasts that uh, Paul and I have been on as well. So we'll, we'll get this up there, Lee, once you, you pass it along. Awesome. We will do that. And I'll make it even easier for those listening. We'll put links down to that in the show notes below. All right. Well, Tom, as I say, thank you so much again for your time. Lovely to dig into things today. I'll pick your brain another time about my love of atomic habits. Yeah, there we go. Lee, I've enjoyed the convo, man. It was good talking to you and digging in and 
hopefully there's some good things for your listeners on here that could help them. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Likewise, Tom. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.